0: listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. I cannot tell you when I became a Christian specifically. I got baptised when I was 15 and probably before that there were multiple times when I asked for God's forgiveness and gave my life over to God. No one dramatic moment. But by my mid-teens, I was a Christian. I had recognised I needed God's freely given grace and forgiveness. The Apostle Paul could not say that about his conversion. He definitely would remember the when and the where's. It's in some ways the polar opposite of my experience His conversion was not only dramatic, but it was massively significant because of what Paul went on to become. There's so much that we could unpack from this passage, but I want to draw on just a few observations as we reflect on the account of Paul's conversion. I've grouped my comments under three not-so-memorable headings as follows. First one. Don't expect to remain unchanged if you meet with Jesus. Second one, life after death of the old self. And the third one, this man is my chosen instrument. After that, we'll give some time to how we might apply these things to our own lives. Before we jump into that then, let me just set some brief context to the story Saul was born in Tarsus into a privileged and devout Jewish family, descendants of the tribe of Benjamin. At about 13 years old, he was sent to Jerusalem to the great Jewish school of sacred learning, where he was a student of divinity and Jewish law. Sounds awful, doesn't it? He was a pupil of the celebrated rabbi Gamaliel, and he spent many years studying the scriptures and debating questions concerning them with the rabbis. During these years of diligent study, he lived in all good conscience. His Jewish or Hebrew name was Saul. However, it was typical for Jews at the time to have a Latin or Greek name as well. In this case, it was Paul. Saul then was super religious and became a Pharisee. The future was bright for him. He had a lot to be confident in. He writes in Philippians 3, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In calling himself blameless here, he is not saying he was without sin, rather, he was saying he was exemplary in keeping the Mosaic law, as many of the Pharisees were. The ascension of Christ was 12 months past. Saul is traveling to Damascus in Syria, he's in pursuit of Christians who have put their faith in Jesus. He was trying to stamp out that movement referred to as the way. Some of Jesus' followers were known to have fled to Damascus to escape the persecution in Jerusalem. Damascus was about 150 miles from Jerusalem, a week's journey from Jerusalem, and therefore a relatively safe haven, sufficient distance away from the dangers of Jerusalem. Saul, with letters from the high priest in Jerusalem, had authority to hunt down Christians, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem. He effectively had an extradition order for them. But God had very different plans. For on the road to Damascus, as he neared Damascus on, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. That light was Jesus appearing before Saul right there. From that point, things changed for Saul. To my first point, then, don't expect to remain unchanged if you meet with Jesus. Jeff spoke last week about the two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus. Paul prayed about it this morning. (laughs) That journey was described as one where they started out wanting answers, and ended up wanting Jesus. Unbeknownst to them, they had walked seven miles with Jesus and having spent time with him, they were changed. They yearned for more time with Jesus. This week, strangely, we have another journey where it starts out one way and ends up changed. When the light appeared, Saul... Verse 4 tells us, fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. The passage tells us the voice that spoke to Saul was Jesus. But it was more than his voice and light. Paul tells us in his first letter to Corinthians, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? But also in chapter 15, Paul reports who Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. To Peter, and to the twelve, to five hundred brothers at the same time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. It's clear then that Jesus was there in person, and Paul saw him face to face. In fact, Paul's most important credential to be an apostle was that he was an eyewitness of the risen Christ. Seeing Christ fundamentally changed Paul. Christ's appearance proved to Paul that the resurrection was true. And that same power that rose Christ from the dead was in front of him and transformed him. The change is hard to deny. Saul, up to that point, had been a bitter opponent of Christ. In Acts chapter 7, we read of Stephen's death, where Saul was there giving approval to his death. Following Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, scattering the Christians throughout Judea and Samaria. In chapter 8, we read that Saul began to destroy the church. He was making house-to-house searches, dragging men and women off to prison. At the beginning of today's passage, we read, Saul was breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul's state of mind was one of hatred and hostility to the church. He had such fervor for his cause, he was willing to journey a week in the blistering sun, chase down these people, drag them back to Jerusalem to put them before the great council. Saul fully expected these Christians to be imprisoned, or worse. He couldn't understand why people would put their faith in someone who was cursed on a tree. He was set on stopping this false movement and was absolutely sincere in what he believed. He was a fanatic, laser focused on eradicating the way. That is what he was living and breathing for. These thoughts would have been very much on Saul's mind on his journey. Then a light appeared so bright that Saul fell to the ground the change in Saul was immediate. Things Saul had confidence in were no longer helpful as he faced Jesus. His authority, his standing in society, the backing of the high priest, confidence in the law, the sincerity with which he was doing that. None of these things would help him stand before Jesus. Saul, blinded by Jesus' glory, was not capable of doing things for himself at that moment. He was helpless before Jesus. He was a proud figure before, but now falling to the ground before Christ, humbled in his presence. Saul's plans changed, of course. Instead of now planning to take Christians captive... He himself was a captive of Christ. It was Christ that arrested Saul. Saul, born to privilege, well-educated, now willingly sacrificed everything for Christ. In the New King James Version of the passage we read, Paul, after recognising it was Christ before him, asked Jesus, "'What would you have me do, Lord?' That there is surely evidence of a changed soul. What would you have me do, Lord? His focus was no more the commission he had in his pocket. Damascus was an oasis surrounded by desert. The harsh terrain that Saul would have had to journey through would have been tough going. Some explain the change in Paul to be down to Psychological or physiological effects, sunstroke. It's true, people have been known to switch beliefs under combative exhaustion, causing hallucinations. It would have been compounded further by three days of fasting, and in Saul's weakness, some say Ananias perhaps had opportunity to indoctrinate Paul. No. Friends, there is only one explanation for this radical change in Paul's world, and that is the sovereign grace of God. Saul met with Jesus and believed. It's Jesus' power that brought the change in Paul, not something he could have brought about himself. He was on very much a course against Christ. Why would he have wanted to change that? It was not sunstroke that changed Paul. Jesus' power was very evident on the road to Damascus. It was about midday in the desert. The sun had to be pretty bright, and yet when Jesus appears, the light was such that Saul could do nothing but fall to the ground, and he was blinded. That is power. The light was the glory and power of Christ. Simply overwhelming and transformational. Christ addresses him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's not clear to me the manner in which Jesus calls Saul's name twice. Maybe it was called twice because Saul needed waking up, or maybe because of concern of danger calling a second time to stress urgency. Or maybe Saul was called twice in a caring, tender way. All of those scenarios apply in reality. For Saul did need waking up. He was on a dangerous path, working against Christ. And for sure, Jesus was looking out for Saul with real care. After all, He had died on the cross the year before for him. Christ's very presence, his glory and power changed Paul. The man who we would have judged with a surely not him, Lord, was changed and goes on to become the greatest missionary to spread the church and the man that wrote half the New Testament. We should expect change then when we meet with Jesus. Let's now take a look at Paul's life after death of his old self. There are two things that I'd like us to reflect on here. Firstly, what happened to Paul, the individual, in the days after his conversion, and how we continue to see evidence of his transformation. Then, I want to reflect on the role of the church in Damascus, how it responded to Saul's arrival in Damascus, his conversion. Two things then to comment on Paul's new life in Christ. Christ had given instruction to Paul to continue to the city and to await further instruction. For three days, Paul did not eat or drink. And we know that he spent time in prayer because God told Ananias to go to Saul. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. First thing then, Paul had a different and deeper relationship with God. Praying and fasting would not be a new thing for Paul as a Pharisee. He probably would have fasted twice a week, complying with his religious regime. However, Paul will not have prayed like he prayed in the three days following his conversion. Three days fasting and praying, giving himself without distraction to prayer. He had now a new access to God. He now understood God to be his Abba Father. No doubt the three days of prayer would have consisted of confession, asking for forgiveness of sins, worship, after all he had seen Jesus in glory, future plans that he may be in God's will. We know God was speaking to Paul because he had a vision that Ananias would come to be praying for him. I expect Paul also was asking God further, what would you have me do, Lord? For Paul, gone now, is the ritual of his Pharisaic life. Paul will have felt freedom because of God's amazing grace and unfailing unconditional love. As Christians, we all have the same access to God that Paul had. Are you giving time to prayer and reading the Bible? (coughs) Secondly, Paul was obedient. From the moment Paul saw Christ, his perspective and priorities changed. What would you have me do, he asks. Paul follows God's instructions, goes to the city. Once Paul is prayed for by Ananias, he gets his sight back. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul got baptized and then started preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. You just get the sense that Paul, on hearing the Lord's voice, was filled with the Spirit and got on with it. His compliance with the law had been the priority, but now, because of his relationship with Jesus, he just wanted to serve God. Paul clearly had a heart for the unsaved and a boldness to act. It goes without saying, given what Paul went on to do, that we have here a man, persecutor turned preacher. Paul preached in the very synagogues he had planned to visit to arrest the Christians, but now is preaching that Jesus is the Son of God and proving that Jesus was the Christ. Not only was Paul obedient then, but he clearly had a heart for the lost. Paul's life from Damascus Damascus Road onwards was all about growing God's church. When God spoke to Ananias, he explained that Paul was going to suffer for the name of Jesus. Indeed, only a short number of verses later, we read about the Jews plotting to kill Paul. Paul was now in the position of willing risk taker for Christ. Let's think about the church in Damascus for a moment the role it had in this story. One particular character had a significant role in the first few days of Paul's new Christian life, which I'm sure had a big influence on Paul. I'll speak of the actions of Ananias specifically. However, it's not a huge leap to translate the behaviours of this one man to how the local church behaved with Paul. I want you, church, to consider whether we would have acted the same way, honestly. I believe Ananias, in Ananias, we see a perfect illustration of how God wants the church to be. It's exactly what church is about. Importantly, it was a church that was listening to God's voice. The Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answers. Firstly, then, the church was obedient. The Lord asks Ananias to visit Saul of Tarsus, the Saul that Christians had been fleeing from in Jerusalem that was trying to destroy Christ's church. Ananias checks his understanding. "Uh, Lord, this is the Saul that is wanting to arrest all the Christians. I've heard a lot of things about this man. The Lord says, go. Ananias was obedient. So, Ananias absolutely trusted God going to visit Saul. The equivalent today might be you having a vision and God asking you to go visit the head of Isis, which would be a real risk to your life. Ananias shows complete trust in the Lord, abandons his concerns that he has for his own situation, shows up, prays for Saul who gets his sight back. That's pretty awesome. But it doesn't stop there. We read, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So secondly, the church was fellowship. Ananias laid hands on him Loved him, prayed for him, fed him, baptised him. Ananias met the spiritual and physical needs of Paul. The thing that really struck me, though, Ananias calls the man that potentially could arrest him or worse, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Ananias welcomed Paul. Wow. What an act of boldness and trust, grace and forgiveness. That, friends, is church. Ananias treated Paul as one who belonged, who was one of them, who was loved. Isn't that proof that God is love? Ananias showed him what fellowship was. As a member of Christ's church, are you showing others what fellowship is about? The importance of unity within the fellowship is evident, even before we meet Ananias. Jesus' first question of Saul was, Why do you persecute me? Jesus identifies with his followers. When we become Christians, we enter communion with Christ. We are one with Christ and we are united with one another in Christ. Jesus asks Saul, why he was persecuting him, because actions taken against anyone in the church are against Christ as the head. That's a sobering thought. Think about that. How are you relating to your fellow church members? For some, it may be easy to get on with, to love. What about the ones you're finding you're not spending time with? Not helping, judging, having a spat with. You're treating Christ that way. We are treating the Son of God that way. Jesus is all about relationship, loving others. And one of the reasons we have church is to demonstrate Christ's love for one another. Ananias, then, was a true reflection of everything God wants the church to be. We've seen then, haven't we, that If you meet with Jesus, you can only be changed, that the transformation is not superficial, but a deep change to our priorities and perspectives and motivation. Finally, I want to talk to the fact that Paul was God's chosen instrument. Strangely and mysteriously, God uses humans to carry out much of his work. He didn't choose to just deal with Saul himself on the road. He could have. In his perfect timing, however, and as part of his perfect plan, God had Saul go to Damascus, where three days later, Ananias would meet with him, pray with him. Ananias and the church in Damascus had a role to play in God's plan. The whole story of Paul's conversion was part of God's plan. God chose Saul. We read, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God didn't say, If Paul fancies it, I'd like for him to go share the good news with the Gentiles. God had a plan for Paul. Paul in his letter to the Galatians recognizes that God had chosen him well before his calling. Galatians one fifteen. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. Later in the book of Acts in chapter 26. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I had to look up what goads were. Goads are a sharp rod that owners of livestock have just to encourage their animals to move forward a bit. They give them a prod. They're sharp rods. And sometimes the animals would kick back against those goads and that would actually cause them more pain. And that's what God's saying to Paul here. Paul had actually been fighting against God's promptings leading up to his conversion. Jesus had been pricking and prodding Saul, who'd been fighting against that. Saul had been wrestling, I would suggest, with a number of goads. His doubts, for example. He could not get Jesus out of his mind. He had heard rumours that Jesus had risen from the dead. At Stephen's death, Saul would have seen Stephen's face shining like an angel. And his courage when he was being stoned. He would have heard Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, something supernatural. God had been working in Paul's life up to the point of his conversion. This means then that Paul was beating and imprisoning and murdering Christians as a God-chosen, soon-to-be-made Christian missionary. We would have a hard time thinking God had chosen this guy, to spread his church. Surely he was far too gone. This man was bad for God's church. But whose conversion launched world mission, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. God can use everyone then. As we think of applications quickly, let's reflect on the two questions that Saul asked Jesus. Have you asked the same questions of God? Firstly, Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Perhaps God has been working some goads on you, bringing you to the point where you need to recognise God for who he is and what he's done for you. Perhaps you're here this morning and realise that the same Jesus that Saul met face to face on the road to Damascus is calling you. You may not have the bright light, the voice that everyone can hear. You may not have Jesus physically in front of you, like Saul. But there will be some elements that must be the same as Saul's experience. Firstly, you must have a personal encounter with Jesus. It's not about knowing about Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Jesus. You need to surrender to him in repentance, in faith, recognizing that life you had was motivated by yourself. And you need God's gracious gift of salvation. Sin imprisons lives and grace liberates even people like Saul, like me, like you. Know this. Jesus does not give up on anyone. Nothing we have done or been Can exclude us from the call to be a disciple. God has the same intent with you as He did with Saul that is, to redeem us. We should not think ourselves unworthy of God's love. Look at Saul. Maybe you became a Christian some time ago, but you're not feeling close to God. Maybe you're feeling that you've sinned your way out of grace. Know that God's love for you remains the same as it was. His grace is sufficient to cover the deepest, darkest sins in all of our lives. Personal encounter with Christ is essential, not as a one-off, but as a day-to-day regular habit. Are you meeting with Jesus, friend? If you have met with him, you can only be changed as a result. Keep meeting with him. When we take communion, we encounter Christ. We'll be doing that shortly. It may be that you want to pray with someone prior to that and respond to anything you've heard this morning. We'll make that opportunity. The second question Saul asks Jesus, what would you have me do? He was God's chosen instrument to do amazing things. Well, guess what? You are too. When you became a Christian, you were born into privilege. We bear Jesus' name. We have his identity. We are heirs to God's kingdom. What are you doing with that knowledge? It should have a bearing on everything you and I do. Asking God, what would you have me do, Lord, can be scary. Because we may not get the answer we really want. But knowing God's grace and love for us is more than sufficient, makes it possible to ask. The chances are, God will not ask us to do stuff which will involve getting shipwrecked, imprisoned, killed, like Paul was. God wants us to hear his voice and have willing hearts like Ananias. I read a statement last week which said, Counterfeit Christianity is safe. Real Christianity is always in peril. And that's true. Loving others requires sacrifice of our own selfish desires, how we spend our time, who we spend it with, what we do with our money, what we think about others. Ask yourself about your involvement with the fellowship we have here. Have you got an issue with another member of Christ's church? You need to sort it because your feelings and actions are against Christ. God would have you invest sacrificially in this fellowship. If we all did it, then we would really see God's church working as intended. The power that changed Saul then, that allowed Ananias to accept and love Saul, that power is the same power that God grants us, empowers us to our calling, Our calling may not be as spectacular as Paul, but it is spectacular. It's what God chose for you. My prayer for you then, and for this church, is that when the Lord calls, we hear it, and we answer like Ananias with a yes, Lord. Amen.